Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. You to you as well. Awesome. So that brings me to a good point. How many kids do we have in the room right now? Just raise your hands if you got kids. Awesome. Good. We got a bunch of kids in the room. So here's here's what I want to do right now. This is your kids. Everybody look up here. All kids look up here. This is your part of the service. This is where you get to take control. And in a minute, I think you're pretty excited about tomorrow morning, right? Christmas morning. Anybody excited about that? Yes. I'm sure you are. So I'm going to give you, in a minute, I'm going to give you, just a moment from now, I'm going to give you the opportunity, when I count to three, to yell as loud as you want, just to show us how excited you are. So if you're like hard of hearing, this is about to become real easy for you, right? But if you're not, you might want to do this, okay? All right. So kids, you ready? Okay. On the count of three, let's hear how excited you are. One, two, three. Wow, that was so good, you guys. That was so ear-piercingly loud. That was wonderful. So kids, kids, look up here. Your part's done. No more talking. All right? You're all finished. Okay? It's good. Hey, we've had an amazing year here at Grace. God has done some incredible things that you saw some of them up on the video a moment ago. We're in our uh, new facility. How's this working out, huh? Pretty amazing? Yeah. We've seen God do some incredible things, but I just want to like, take a few minutes here and talk to you about the reason why we built this thing and the reason why we have a church in the first place. Um, we, my heart's desire, my wife and I, when we first started this church, our heart's desire was not to build a country club where people can kind of just hang out with like-minded people. Our desire was to build a community of faith where we would be both not so serious about ourselves, but very serious about the gospel itself. And so our hope is even tonight, as you're here in this service, that you will hear the message of the gospel clearly and be so compelled in your hearts that you will be drawn into him. Now, that's not something that I can do. That's something that the Lord will do in you. And there are many people in the room right now who have had that kind of experience. So I want to talk about three ways in which God the Father sent the Son into the world. Just three real quick things. God sent the Son materially. He sent him relationally. And he also sent him mysteriously. So the first one, God sent Jesus into the world materially, meaning that Jesus isn't just a concept, that we as Christians actually believe that the story that you read about in Luke chapter 2 and the story that you read about throughout Scripture of Jesus is more than a metaphorical story. It's more than just imagery designed to create a good ethic in your life to make you a better and more moral person. We don't believe that at all. What we actually believe is that this story is history. It is history designed by God, redemptive history designed by God for the purpose of your well-being. Jesus was sent into the world so that you may have life abundantly, so that you can have the kind of life that you've always desired and always wanted. Now, that doesn't mean that everything you desire and want is in God's will. It simply means God created the world for us, and he created a perfect environment for us to flourish, to be whole, to not have to live in brokenness. And somewhere along the way, we as human beings chose, if it wasn't Adam and Eve all the way back, we ourselves have made the choice to live independent from God. And that independence sometimes leads to temporary moments of happiness, but it always, always, always leads to a forever of sorrow. And so Jesus comes into the world, and at this Christmas time, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And the birth of Jesus Christ is so much more than God sending a poet or an artist or 
a philosopher, somebody to change your worldview. He's more than a psychologist or your best psychiatrist. Jesus actually was God in the flesh. Now, when God sent Jesus materially, physically into the world, he did so because it was the Father's heart to give his absolute best gift to you and me. You know, during this season right now, when we are giving good gifts to one another, I, you know, for me, it's one of those things that just, it, it reminds me that when I give material gifts to my children, or I give material gifts to my wife, or I receive them myself, there's always a heart behind it. There's always something behind it. There, there is love there is a joy. There's a desire to provide. There's, there's beauty in that kind of love. But, but love almost always is attached to something physically, right? Whether it is the embodiment of myself or you, giving ourselves to each other relationally through the Christmas season throughout the year, or it's embodied in some other kind of physical present of some form or another. And the father, long before he sent Jesus into the world, he thought to himself, well, what is going to be necessary and what will be helpful because my people are broken, how do I fix them? And so instead of just sending a bunch of commandments that we were to follow, and instead of just sending some principles or an ideology, instead of a new worldview that we were supposed to hold on to, instead of those things, he sent a person. He embodied himself. So when the father somehow in some way said, you know, what's best for them? He said, me, I'm best for them. So he took the son and he embodied him in human flesh. And Jesus born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem as a star was above, his, his, uh, above the city. A child born, a Nazarene born for the purpose of a mission to free us from our sin. At the end of the day, the Christmas story is the story of your best and most flourishing, your happiness. But that happiness is never independent from God in the Bible. It always comes hand in hand with God in the Bible. So God sent Jesus physically into the world, materially into the world. But secondly, he sends Jesus uh, relationally into the world, into the world relationally. Now, the reason for this is that God wanted us to have a relationship with him. He, did, again, didn't want to just set the world in motion, step back and say, you know what? It's all going to work out one day. It's all going to be figured somehow, some way, it's all going to work out. No. God was interested in being a part of your life. He was interested in the day-to-day -day circumstances that you go through. He's interested when you are falling down and you are hurting. And he is interested when everything is going really, really well. God is closer than we think. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, I want you to see how close God is to us. It says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. What kind of love has the Father given to us? What is his love like? That we should be called children of God. Now, he didn't just call you followers. He didn't just call you believers. He didn't just say that you are, you are to follow a system, a bunch of rules, and then, and then everything's going to work out. In some way, God calls us children, family, that we are close to his heart. We are called children of God, and so we are. And then he uses this beautiful word for like a husband to a wife, and he calls us. He says, beloved. Beloved, we are God's children now. And I love this part of the text. It should be underlined on the screen. It says this, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be one day has just not, it's not appeared. It's not, we're not here yet. It's not here yet. 
When you have an encounter with Jesus and you have a relationship with Jesus, almost immediately, your heart begins to fundamentally change. Not, not you're trying to do better and try harder. Can we just put do better and try harder to the side? That doesn't work. Check the gym in March. Right? Check the gym in March. Nobody, nobody does better and tries. It just, you can do it for a season based on your own strength, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really work. So we put do better and try harder to the side. And instead, what is he saying here? He's saying, he's saying we are family, but... We are not yet what we're going to look like. There's something that remains in us, sin, that separates us from him. But one day we're going to see him face to face and we're going to be just like him. Everything that is broken and flawed and lost, the parts of me that despair, all of that one day will be gone. And we'll never have to wrestle with it ever, ever again. One day... When we see him, everything will be okay. In our family, we have this statement that we say to each other all the time because of this truth. And the statement is, good is ahead. Good is ahead. It doesn't matter where you guys are right now. There's good ahead of you in Christ Jesus. But the challenge, the challenge for us is that we don't always receive that good, and we don't always want that good, and therefore we don't embody that good. Up on the screen, I want you to look at John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. This kind of lays out our challenge. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him. So there's two things right there, just have big things. Number one, Jesus was materially made into the world, right? He, 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 Jesus, he was begotten, not made. Right? He was brought into the world by the Father. He lived a physical life. But here in this text, it says that the world was made through him. So Jesus not only comes as a helpless babe 2,000 years ago, but prior to that with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus participated in the creation of creation itself. This world that he gave us that is so beautiful that constantly calls us back to him. I remember years ago, I was standing, um, I was standing on this beautiful beach in Scotland, my wife wasn't with me. I was on a, doing a missions trip. We were helping some, some people who were struggling with addictions. And I was on the beach, and there on the beach was some of the most beautiful scenery in my whole life. And it called to me. There was this beach, and there was just off in the distance, there was this really high cliff. And on the top of it was an old Viking graveyard, like a, like a ruin that was up there. And... Uh, I'm sitting there looking at the water. There's these big giant stones that are in the, in the water in front of me in the beach and this beautiful green water that's just rolling over them. And I remember thinking to myself, I wish my wife was here right now. I wish she could see this. I wish she could feel it with me. I wish she could just experience this moment with me because apart from her, this moment's not complete. And then my thoughts went to the Lord. And I started thinking, Lord, thank you so much for the beauty that you've created that remind me of what I love most. Jesus helped create this world in such a way that it would call to you back to what you are supposed to love the most. But the challenge in that is this. It says that he was in the world, he made the world through him, yet the world did not know him. 
The challenge of Jesus coming, his birth 2,000 years ago, was that this was the most anticipated event in human history, and yet it was the most overlooked event in human history. There were only a few people that were there at his birth, only a few, and not the people that he came to. The people that he came to did not recognize him. They did not know him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. See, it's not that you haven't found Jesus if you haven't found him yet. It's not that you're on a pursuit of him, but you must recognize everything in the scriptures tell us that he's in pursuit of you that he's looking for you and he wants a relationship with you. And all you need to do is receive, not try harder and do better. This church, we don't believe in that. We we, We think that's just basically works and that's not what works. If you try better and do harder, just devote your time to it. Just try it for a little while. It will not work, but what works and when it comes to a relationship with Jesus is receiving him. And just as Jesus came as this infant child in great humility and great weakness, he comes to us and asks the same thing. Will you be humble and will you be weak in my presence? And the beautiful thing about it is that a heart that opens itself up to that beauty and that weakness, God goes every single place in your heart and your mind and your soul that you can imagine. And it's incredible. It's incredible. God gave Jesus to us materially. He gave to us relationally, but he also gave him to us kind of mysteriously. Like, what, why, why does that, how does that work? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I want you to think, and I guess, again, if somebody brought you here today, we're so glad that you're here, and maybe you're not religious. We've, we just, all throughout, the, we have five services today, and in all of the services that have preceded this, I've had people come up to me and said, thank you so much for preaching that message, because I brought people today who've not been in church for like 10, 15, 20, one person said 30 years. And that's fantastic, and that's what we want to see. But here's the thing. If you've not been in church for a long time, and you're not really a God kind of person, that's okay. It's fine. Okay? But our hope for you is that you'll see beyond just the circumstances of this moment. Because there's something mysterious that takes place with Jesus. When Jesus comes to you, he comes to you in a mysterious way. I mean, think about the things that we believe. We believe that Jesus was born to a virgin. How does that happen? How does Jesus born to a virgin? Jesus' birth and his life, it fulfilled 400 prophecies, Old Testament predictions of what Jesus would be like. At least 400 of them. I mean, Jesus is incredible. He is not just a teacher or a good, wise sage. He was God in flesh. Fully God, fully man, fused together as one. That's what we believe in. And that is a mystery that goes beyond our full comprehension. I cannot fully comprehend it. I cannot, I can apprehend it in small little pieces, but I cannot fully comprehend it. And I want to say to you, you don't need to either to trust. You don't need to either to trust. Let me say this. If you're one of those people that thinks to yourself, man, I just, I don't get it all. It's not clear to me. You have to recognize that that lack of clarity sometimes is the exact reason why it's true. Because if you have a God that you've created in your head, that he fits in your perfect little box, and he does all the things that you want him to do, and he thinks all the ways that you want him to think, you've invented a God of your own creation. But the God of the Bible is so wild and so different and so utterly transcendent 
that he doesn't fit in our little boxes. And I want you to recognize this. Listen. So sometimes the fact that you can't figure it all out means that we just serve a big God who is too big for our finite minds to figure out. And that is an evidence, evidence for him, not against him. So if you're there today, you have to recognize there's mystery to part of what we do. But recognize this too. You and I live in a place of mystery and we don't even realize it most often. Every time I get into my car and I'm driving down the road, every time I get into my car, and, and by the way, if you've been in the car with me, it, 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 is, it is a dangerous thing. We have these grace stickers, you know, like, like grace stickers, like grace church stickers. We put them on the back of the cars. I took them off mine because I was dishonoring God by driving all the time, right? Just, so it's a dangerous, you know, if you, if you, but if you get in the car and you're driving down the road and you get to the stop, you know, it turns, you know, the light turns and you slam on your brakes, you trust that those brakes are going to save you and your children's life. I have no idea how they work. I mean, I know generally they do this. That's about it. That's all I know. I don't know anything else. It could be all magic from, from beyond what I can see. I have no idea. I trust that every time I get onto a plane and travel somewhere else in the world, that that pilot is not super depressed. <laughs> I trust it. I trust it all the time. And the reality is, most of the time, I don't even think about it. So we have this super, super low expectation of trust in every other area of our life. But when it comes to faith, sometimes we heighten that expectation and think to ourselves, well, unless I've got it all figured out, it's never going to work for me. No, 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 no. God is mysterious. He's beyond our full comprehension. He's given us these beautiful word pictures in the Bible. He's given us his son, Jesus, who walked among us, talked among us, led us and guided us. And then finally, what Jesus did for us was he sacrificed himself. Jesus' final solution for the sin problem, the heart problem that we have, and you know what I mean by that. You don't have to be religious to know what I mean. I mean, you, you and I have a heart problem. Like we don't live up to our own standards, let alone the standards of the Bible. But God said that the only way to fix that was for himself to come down and to solve the problem. And so we don't just celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas. We celebrate the entirety of his message, that Jesus came, he died in my place, so that one day when I get to heaven, God's looking at me and he's like, why are you here? I'm not going to hand him my resume and say, because I used to be a preacher, because I talked to thousands of people. That's not it. I'm going to hand him Jesus' resume and said that because he asked me to come. And that's all it is. That's it. If you will receive the gospel, if you will receive Jesus. So to that end, I simply ask you one thing. If it's true that this Jesus is the person of this book that's described in the, from the front of it to the back of it, if Jesus is the person that he says he is in this, what will you do about it? What will you do? Because it requires a response. And our prayer for you is that you will simply receive Jesus tonight. Amen? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I do pray for that more than anything else, more than all the presence and all the joy and all the family and all of that. We ask, God, that you would turn people's hearts to you. They're never going to do it right, and neither do we. They're never going to figure it all out, and neither have I. I ask God, though, that in the meantime, we would trust you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, as much as we can muster, God. And when we fall short, 
Your grace is enough. In Jesus' name, amen.